All right. Back to Mark chapter 2 this morning. One of the most serious controversies between Jesus and the religious leaders of his day centered on the observance of the Jewish Sabbath day. And the Sabbath, uh, you know, was a holy day of rest and worship ordained by God to commemorate the seventh day of creation on which God himself rested and joyfully reflected on his creative work. It was included as the fourth commandment of God's law, where he said, remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all your work, but the seventh day is the Sabbath of the Lord your God. So it was a day that made Judaism distinct from other religions. Now, by the time of Christ's ministry, a lot of controversy had developed over which uh, what you could do or what you could not do on this holy day. And the scribes and the rabbis over uh, a long period of time developed a list of 39 rules which they added to the Old Testament regulations in God's word, and they called this the Shabbat. And this is the focus of these last uh, two conflicts between Jesus and the Pharisees that we read earlier. Now, Jesus has constantly, uh, he's constantly being watched by the Pharisees, and uh, they're always looking for ways they can criticize him. They want to be able to righteously accuse him of breaking this Sabbath day, And if it could be proven that he actually disregarded their most holy day, then in their minds he would be discredited, and in the eyes of the people he would be, and that would make him lose his influence over them. But in these two incidents, Jesus showed that he was the Lord of the Sabbath, a bold claim that put him on par with God the Father, Lord of the Old Testament Sabbath. So he explained the purpose of the Sabbath. It was not made for people to worry about rules and restrictions. It was meant for their enjoyment so that they could rest body and soul. They could worship the Lord. It was a day set apart for spiritual reflection and ministry to people in need. The New Testament Sabbath is the first day of the week, what we call the Lord's Day, what we just sang about in our last song. It commemorates the day of Christ's resurrection from the dead that inaugurated the new covenant, the age of grace or the age of the church. And there's still controversy today over what you should or you shouldn't do on this day. And the main principle that we draw from these passages is that this day should not be so restricted that we do not enjoy it, that we're so worried about committing some man-made infraction that we miss the whole purpose of the day. Neither should it be so neglected that it becomes like any other day and thus be disrespected. We always need to remember that man is not Lord of the Sabbath, Jesus is. 
So let's ask God's blessing as we look into this passage this morning. Heavenly Father, we just pray uh, you'll give us your wisdom today. We're thankful, Lord, that uh, you are the Lord of the Sabbath. Now, Lord, although we have no real New Testament Sabbath, we have the Lord's Day, which is similar to it in many ways. We pray, Lord, that we would look forward to the time that we have uh, on the Lord's Day of fellowship, of being in your word, of worshiping you, and that it would be something that's uh, precious to, uh, to us and that we would hold it dear and we would honor you on it. And as Jesus uh, presented these truths about how this day should be spent, help us, Lord, to realize that these are true today as well. Bless our study, we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, both of the incidents that we read this morning relate to what the Pharisees considered infractions of the Sabbath day. As Lord of the Sabbath, Jesus has the authority to demonstrate what should and what should not occur and what violates or does not violate the, the Sabbath day. And so there are two things we're going to look at. First of all, Jesus demonstrated that human needs supersede ceremonial laws on the Sabbath. And we find that in that first controversy beginning at verse 23. So let's take a look at the occasion. Okay, it's a Sabbath day, and on this particular Sabbath day, he and his disciples are traveling through a grain field. This means it would have probably been in the uh, spring of the year. Uh, everything is getting ripe for harvest, and uh, sometimes there would be little paths that went through fields to get from one place to another. We're not exactly sure why they were doing this, but very likely they were passing from one village to another uh, to be involved in ministry. They couldn't go very far because the Sabbath law said you can only go about a quarter of a mile on the Sabbath day, otherwise you're breaking the Sabbath. So that's one of those little minutia laws that they thought up about the Sabbath day and a Sabbath journey, so to speak. So um, as they go along the way, we're told here that Jesus' disciples began to pluck the heads of grain. And uh, Luke tells us they did that because they were hungry. So uh, as they're traveling along, they, they grab a few heads of grain. Uh, they would rub it in their hands, blow the chaff away, and then they would eat the grain. Uh, we would probably prefer that in a bowl of cereal or something, but they were on the road, and this was uh, something that was allowed in the law of God. As a matter of fact, uh, back in those days, the farmers were required not to harvest the corners of their fields, to leave that for the poor and needy so they could glean it uh, if they needed to. And this is kind of like, uh, you know, you're just passing along. Uh, you get a couple of grapes off of a grape cluster, or you might pluck an apple. God says this is okay to do. So what's the problem with the Pharisees as they say, look, why do they do that which is not lawful on the Sabbath? So something was wrong with this because it was on this particular day, the Sabbath day. Some other day, well, it would have been okay. And we think today, well, you know why? That's really pretty picky, isn't it? As they walk along and they're, they're just taking a few heads of grain, not hurting anything. But again, we go back to those 39 articles of the Shabbat. 
And it's stated in there that on the Lord's day, or on the Sabbath day rather, you could not reap, you could not thresh, and you could not winnow grain. Uh, And that probably, generally speaking, would be correct because you would be thinking in terms of the farmer taking his sickle, going out, cutting down the the wheat, uh, maybe uh, somebody coming along and gathering it into bundles, and then they take to the fresh threshing floor and they they thresh it out and they winnow it. That would be you know the work of the day, and that was forbidden by the Old Testament law. But when you see a a, a man pluck a few heads and rub it together, blow the chaff away and eat it. Uh, is that the same thing? Well, in their mind, it was. Plucking the grain was like reaping. Rubbing in your hand was like threshing. Blowing the chaff away was like winnowing. And it didn't matter if you were meeting your need with a little bit that day, you were still breaking the Sabbath law in their mind. So this was serious business to the Pharisees, and they challenged uh, the Lord about it. That's how strict they viewed the Sabbath law, and that's how far they had come, actually, from its true purpose. So the Lord then takes some time, and he explains this situation to them, and really points out that they're, uh, they're missing the whole point of the Sabbath day. And he goes on to say, uh, ask the question, have you never read what David did when he was in need and hungry, he and those who were with him. So now he's drawing an allusion from the life of the greatest king that Israel had, that all of them would have respected, and he takes a story out of his life that pertains to what is happening there in that day. So he's going back to uh, a story in 1 Samuel chapter 21, And on that occasion, David and his men were fleeing from Saul because Saul wanted to get rid of David because David had been anointed to become a new king. And Saul wanted, of course, his son Jonathan to be king. So David uh, and his men uh, had no opportunity to uh, gather supplies and take them with him as they fled. So they came to a place called Nob. And that's where the Old Testament tabernacle at that time was located, the the central place of worship. And in the tabernacle, there was a table on which was laid what is called here showbread. And that consisted of 12 uh, baked loaves of bread that the priest would lay out on that table in the holy place before you go into the holy of holies. And they would put those out there on the Sabbath day. And they would remain there for the whole week. They signified the 12 tribes of Israel and God taking care of them, feeding them, giving their bread day by day. Then when the next Sabbath day would come up, the priest would take the bread. They would then be able to eat it. It was consecrated, so only the priest could eat it. And they would replace it with new loaves of bread. So it was technically illegal for David, even though he was anointed as king, to take that bread and eat it, but they had no other means uh, of supply, and so they took it and they ate it. And there's no place in all of Scripture that says what David did that day was wrong, because uh, 
supplying the need that he had, even with consecrated bread, was not breaking the Sabbath law. And that's what Jesus means when he says that he ate the showbread, which is not lawful to eat except for the priests, and he gave some with those with him. And all those people understood that, well, the Bible never condemned that act. So Jesus is making comparison. What's the difference between the need that we have now as we're ministering, as we're serving, going from one place to another? If these men eat in this way, is it really desecrating the Sabbath? And the obvious answer is no, uh, it's not. Furthermore, as we put the other gospel stories, the parallel passages to this together, in Matthew's gospel, chapter 12, Jesus also added the illustration of the work of the priests on uh, the Sabbath day. Kind of like uh, when the pastor gets up and preaches a message, uh, he's working in a, in a sense. Well, the priests had certain duties that they fulfilled on the Sabbath day, uh, and they would go about those duties, but those duties were sanctioned because they were spiritual in nature, and therefore uh, they would not be wrong to be part, uh, part of the, the Sabbath day worship or what they might be considered work. It's sanctified because it's done for the Lord. And in that same passage, he pointed out to the Pharisees uh, who misunderstood the intent and the spirit of the Lord when he said, the Lord desires mercy and not sacrifice. So acts of mercy and necessity that fulfill, fulfill human needs always trump adherence to ceremonial laws, even in the Old Testament days. Now, we come back to Mark chapter 2, and we see the main principle presented by the Lord Jesus in verse 27. He said to them, The Sabbath was made for man and not man for the Sabbath. So what did he mean by that? Well, the purpose of this day was really to meet human needs, a need for rest. Uh, We live in a world where uh, we're just hustling and bustling and everywhere. Uh, we, we are, we're doing something almost 24-7 every single day. Uh, God knew that we needed a day where we could rest our bodies, our minds, our souls. And that was his purpose in giving the day, the Sabbath day, the day of rest. A respite from our labor. Reflection on higher principles of the spirit. And a time to worship God. Uh, Through man-made additions to God's law, however, it had become a burden rather than a joy. These people were so caught up in the minutia of the law, so afraid of breaking one of these minute uh, infractions on the day, they couldn't really enjoy it. Uh, One commentator wrote this, uh, speaking of the Sabbath day, It was a gift that afforded man not only physical rest, but also refreshment in spirit and raising his thoughts above his daily labors. 
arbitrary regulations of the Pharisees made man a slave of the Sabbath, making its observance a burden rather than a blessing. And then we go back to our passage in verse 28. Here's the real clincher about the Sabbath day. Jesus is Lord of the Sabbath. Look at verse 28. Therefore, the Son of Man is also Lord of the Sabbath. Remember, the the fourth commandment says that uh, uh, the, uh, the Old Testament God, the Lord, Yahweh, is Lord of the Sabbath. Well, Jesus is making the same claim here as the Son of Man. And we've seen that Mark is stressing the authority of Jesus in different ways over different realms. His authority in teaching, in healing, in casting out demons, even in forgiving sins. Now he extends that authority over the most important day on the Jewish calendar, and that is the Sabbath day. And um, therefore he is the one who has the authority of saying what is helpful, what is useful, the way that day should be treated. And his authority is extending now to another aspect of the Jewish belief system. So as its Lord, as its master, as its ruler, so to speak, he has the right to affirm what is an infringement and what is not. The creator of the Sabbath is the ruler of the Sabbath, he has the final say and of how and when it's abused or it's misused. And meeting uh, human needs is more important than some man-made uh, addition to the law, if you will. Now, in the next section, we have another incident that occurred on the Sabbath day, the Jewish holy day. And here Jesus demonstrated that good works are to be done, indeed they should be done, on the Sabbath day. Uh, No day restricts doing good. Now, let's take a look at this occasion, a little bit different than before. Uh, Now we're told that he entered the synagogue again. You, You enter the synagogue, the place of Old Testament worship, on the Lord's day or the Sabbath day in Old Testament times. And again, you have to remember, Jesus is coming uh, with the good news of the kingdom. The day of worship is going to be transferring to another day, but there's a transition period. So Jesus is still worshiping on the day God said Old Testament saints will worship. And that worship was conducted in the synagogue. Now, this particular day, uh, there was a man there who had a withered hand. So he had some kind of a, uh, an ailment, a deformity. It might have been due to an accident. It may have been associated with some kind of disease or paralysis, polio, something like that. And Luke says it was his right hand. And most people are right-handed. So that might indicate because of that injury or that deformity, he was not able to, to work. Maybe he had to beg for a living. We don't know that, but it could possibly be. So, uh, what's, what's the whole idea here? Now, the, the focus of this incident is not so much on the healing, 
but on what Jesus was going to do. Will he perform a work of healing on the Sabbath day? Now we wonder if the Pharisees may have somehow planted this man in the congregation for their nefarious purpose. At least it seems they knew he would be there because they're looking to see if he's going to heal him or not. Now that tells us something as well about the Pharisees. They weren't there to worship God. They weren't there to listen to Jesus as he expounded the scriptures. They were there in an attempt to bring an accusation of Sabbath-breaking against the Lord. So they weren't really there for the right reason in the first place. Their hearts weren't where they should be as they came together to worship God. Now, they also must have believed that Jesus had the power to heal and that if he saw someone in need like this man, he would very likely heal him. So they know these truths about the Lord Jesus Christ. They understood he would use his power to help someone in need, he, and he could actually heal this person, yet they consistently rejected his teachings, and even though he, he was able to do miracles, they didn't think that he was somebody from God. So they're willing to use a good deed done on a Sabbath day to turn it around and make it an abuse of the Sabbath uh, and falsely accuse him of doing something wrong, of breaking the Sabbath. Now, uh, the Lord then challenges these people as they're watching him closely. And this is also interesting. Uh, This would have been a little later in his ministry, perhaps very close to the last year or within the last year, because it seems like these guys are always hanging around to see how they can accuse Christ, how they can criticize him, how they can somehow wreck his ministry or destroy his character. And that's the only reason they were near him. Uh, But it seems like they're near him quite often. So what does Jesus do? Of course, he knows probably what they're up to. And uh, he's not going to back down. Uh, He's not going to um, uh, uh, try to um, make this, you know, uh, make this look like he's just going to be cautious. He's going to tread lightly. He's not going to try to offend anybody. Uh, He's not, but but he's he's not going to evade the controversy. He actually tells this man to step forward, to stand up and get to a place where everybody in the congregation that day could see him. And back then, a lot of times the 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 synagogue would be like a semicircle. So if you were in the front, you wouldn't be facing like you are now. You would be centered around like a a half circle, and your view would be very uh, much enhanced. And this fellow's sitting in a place where everybody can take a look at him. And they know he's got this uh, issue. So he tells him to stand up. He calls attention to the person that they're watching to see if he's going to heal or not. And then he says to them, Is it lawful on the Sabbath to do good or to do evil to save life, or to kill. Well, um, 
The issue is not one of working on the Sabbath, but of doing what is morally good. Now, Matthew tells us that the Pharisees first introduced this question of healing uh, by asking Jesus, is it lawful to heal on the Sabbath? And Jesus used another illustration in this whole story that Mark kind of leaves out. Jesus said, if a sheep falls into a pit, is it lawful to pull it out of the pit on the Sabbath day? And according to the Old Testament law, it was. If you had a cow or sheep or, or that had some kind of a problem, such as falling into a pit, you don't just leave it there to suffer until the next day. You're allowed to get him out because that's a work of mercy, a work of necessity. And everybody there would have understood that truth. And so he uses that as an illustration. If you're merciful to an animal, why wouldn't you be merciful to a human being? And then he turns the question around and asks them this same question, adding a little bit to, to them. Is it lawful on the Sabbath to do good or to do evil, to save life or to kill? So again, the issue is one that's really moral and spiritual. Uh, the Pharisees did believe it was okay to heal on the Sabbath day in a life or death situation. In other words, if this person was in danger of dying, you could be healed. I don't know who was going to do the healing, but they believed you could heal on the Sabbath day in that restricted uh, case. Otherwise, if you're sick, you're suffering, uh, it's not life or death, you can suffer another day and you can get healed the next day. That was kind of their attitude about the healing aspect of it. So uh, uh, when you think about that, though, there's really not an in-between in this situation. To delay doing good is actually evil. To wait even an extra day to help somebody or heal somebody when they're suffering now that would be wrong. If it's in your power to help them now, do it now. Don't wait till tomorrow. Now, of course, the Pharisees uh, can't answer the question. Uh, if they say no, uh, it's, it's uh, not lawful to do on the Sabbath, well, they're going to look really bad. And then if they say yes, well, then they're agreeing with Jesus' logic. So they can't say that either. And as often, they're silent because they can't give away their position. So what happens then? <clears throat> well, the Lord has a response. It's not a very happy one. Down at verse 5, he, when he had looked around at them with anger... <clears throat> Now, there are some occasions, a few occasions, where we see Jesus expressing anger. But really, this is the only place in the New Testament where it says Jesus was angry. And he's angry at these people because he knows that they're trying to put him in a, uh, a position where they can accuse him. 
they're doing this on the Lord's Day when you're supposed to be worshiping God, and they're, they're, they're thinking in this way, and he's upset with them, and his anger, of course, is righteous. He knows that they're stubborn. He knows they're, uh, they're unteachable. And his anger, however, is short-lived. How do we know that? Well, the Greek verb tense is one that is something that uh, happens at a point in time. It doesn't last for a lengthy period of time. So his anger in this situation is momentary as he's looking at the Pharisees, wondering what their answer is going to be, but he's upset with them because of the whole situation anyways. But it also tells us uh, in, in verse 5, that he was being grieved by the hardness of their hearts. Now that verb is in a different tense. It's the present tense. The present tense is continuous. So that means that his grief over their attitude was something that didn't go away. And what was he grieved about? Well, the hardness of their heart, the callousness of their heart. Now, that reveals their stubbornness against the truth of who Jesus was. If they knew that he could heal people, if they heard the way that he preached and he taught that awed other people, and they rejected all that, they turned their backs on it all, they wouldn't open their hearts to it, then their hearts were were hard. And despite his powerful teaching, his casting out demons, the miracles that he did, they would not consider that he was the promised Messiah. And they tried to get others to disbelieve him as well. So he was grieved by that. And now they're going to have another reason to hate him because he simply makes them look bad by his, uh, his logic and uh, his actions. Now, At this point, Jesus tells the man to stretch out his hand. And as he stretched it out, verse 5, his hand was restored as whole as the other. That's all the explanation we have. Jesus did not say anything. Jesus did not touch him. Merely by his will... This man was healed. So the Pharisees had nothing to accuse him with. Uh, The man was healed, but Jesus didn't say anything. Jesus didn't touch him. Uh, So there was nothing to really accuse him about. And the whole argument went against them anyways. So what happens next is really the irony of the situation as you think about it. What do the Pharisees do after all this happens? Well, then the Pharisees went out and immediately plotted with the Herodians against him how they might destroy him. Now, what's the irony there? These men, they're upset, they're enraged. They think they're so smart, they thought they would trap Jesus, but they couldn't. They look bad as they go out. And they meet up with this other group called the Herodians. Now, these folks are only mentioned a couple times in the New Testament. We don't know a whole lot about them. Uh, But we do know that the Pharisees and the Herodians 
didn't get together that much. They didn't have a lot in common. The Herodians were kind of a political, not actually a party, but a group that supported the Herodian dynasty. That would be Herod the Great, and now his son Herod Antipas, who was a ruler over this particular region of Galilee. And they would like to see these men rule and kind of uh, uh, bring Israel back to a more prominent situation. And so politically speaking, they feared Jesus because he might wreck their plans of this kind of thing. People were talking about him being a king and such like that. So the two groups who really normally don't get along are going to now connive together how they can destroy Jesus, how they can get rid of him. And so what they did on the Sabbath day was prove they were indeed willing to kill instead of save life. They're guilty of what they were trying to accuse Jesus of doing. And isn't that so much like human nature that we often accuse others of the very same things that we are guilty of. And that's what happened on that day. Well, let's bring this together and uh, try to make some applications for our modern day. Of course, we don't have the Jewish Sabbath day as they did in those times. The day of Christian worship has shifted from the seventh day to the first day of the week. There's no New Testament Sabbath law to follow that directs how we worship on the Lord's day. However, that doesn't necessarily mean that some of these Old Testament principles don't carry over into New Testament worship. After all, it is the Lord's day. So we need to remember that the Lord strongly judged ancient Israel for not keeping their day of worship. As a matter of fact, one of the main reasons they were carried away into captivity was their failure to honor the Sabbath day. They made it a day for their own business, their own pleasure, which the Lord constantly warned them about. I want to read you just a couple of verses in the prophecy of Isaiah where the Lord brings this up uh, through his man. And this is in Isaiah chapter 58. And we read in verse 13, If you turn away your foot from the Sabbath, from doing your pleasure on my holy day, and call the Sabbath a delight, the holy day of the Lord honorable, and shall honor him not doing your own ways, nor finding your own pleasure, nor speaking your own words, then you shall delight yourself in the Lord, And I will cause you to ride on the high hills of the earth and feed you with the heritage of Jacob your father. The mouth of the Lord has spoken. So again, it was very important to God that this day be dedicated to him, that they worship him on this day, that they didn't use it as any other day, and make it a day of their own pleasure. And unfortunately, a lot of folks do that today. And I kind of wonder, would the Lord, feeling that strongly about the day of worship in the Old Testament, make a 180 degree turn and and say that the New Testament doesn't have the same emphasis? Should it be a day where we seek our own pleasure or a day where we uh, rest and we seek the Lord's pleasure? Now, the fourth commandment states that Israel 
was to do no work on the Lord's day. Is that a general principle? Probably, but is it to be strictly applied to in the New Testament times? So let's think about that a little bit. This is, again, a command that's not repeated in the New Testament because the day has shifted. However, it's clear that the Lord doesn't want us to treat this day as we would a normal work day. And we have to remember something. God gave this commandment to Israel, which was an agrarian society. They were largely farmers. They were vine dressers. They were herdsmen. Yet they were still to set aside this day for the Lord to rest from their labors and to worship God and and reflect on spiritual things. God knew they needed a day of rest for their body, their mind, their soul. They were to worship the Lord on that day. Um, And we should probably do the same thing today when we worship the Lord Jesus Christ. Wasn't that long ago, a lot of states had blue laws and the, the, uh, the factories, the stores, they closed out on Sunday. So you really uh, had some help from the uh, society you lived in. Well, we know those days are gone, and we've got to make up our own mind about what we ought to do. And there are some issues that we have to deal with and, and uh, go back and forth with and, and go to the Lord about. First of all, there are works of necessity. Sometimes your type of work requires occasional work on Sunday. In a previous ministry, some of the men were on shift work, and that uh, their shift would switch every week for three weeks, and then they'd go round and round. And that meant that on some Sunday evenings, they would have to miss the evening service. Uh, did I go to their house and scold them, tell them to quit their jobs? No. That's something that uh, they needed to do to provide for their family, and most of the time it did not harm other times of worship, especially Sunday morning worship. Uh, should we close down the hospitals? Should we close down the police stations? We, we have to have these places open because uh, people may be in need, they need protection, they need um, uh, physical help uh, in, in times of sickness, And uh, again, these don't often interfere with worship, but if you're in one of those fields as a provider, you may have to work on Sunday once in a while. But most importantly, we should do good works on the Lord's day. Uh, Any type of ministry uh, is involved in that. Uh, That which teaches the scriptures, promotes the gospel, helps people worship the Lord, uh, provides fellowship with believers, ministers to shut-ins. Those are things that we can be involved in on the Lord's Day. We're working, if you will, but we're working for a good cause. Incidentally, we've got a lot of farmers here. Some of them have cows and things of that nature. Well, you can't say, oh, we're not going to feed the cows today. Uh, no, that's a work of necessity. It's a work of Uh, uh, mercy. You've got to do certain things on those days, and God is not going to hold you accountable for doing that on the Lord's day. But the main truth again here is that Jesus is Lord of the Sabbath, and the Sabbath is now the Lord's day, the day of his worship. 
How do we submit to that lordship? Well, by meeting for worship, by taking time to rest our bodies and reflect on spiritual things, by avoiding work that could be done other days, and by helping others in need, being involved in ministry. These are the type of things that honor the Lord of the Sabbath. Heavenly Father, we're thankful again for the teaching of the Lord Jesus Christ. Lord, we know that you don't want us to put so many restrictions on your day that we don't enjoy it. But also, Lord, we realize if we put all the scripture together, you don't want us to use this day merely for our own pleasure or to use it just like any other day where we, uh, we work all day. Help us, Lord, to uh, obey the, the clear uh, relationship of you being the Lord of the Sabbath and our uh, following that lordship by involving ourselves in public worship, by having fellowship with the believers, by spending time in your word, by being involved in ministry, and uh, honoring you on this day more than anything else. We thank you, Lord, for uh, your instruction, for your goodness to us, and for this day of rest that we can enjoy together. And we ask your blessing as we continue in Jesus' name. Amen.